Welcome to the Motherhood Village Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez-Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest. I have Mrs. Kelly Tolliday, who is a yoga and meditation teacher, holistic health coach, a lifelong student, and experienced enthusiast. Love that. Kelly fell head over heels in love with the practice of yoga and meditation when she was 15 years old, and the love affair with holistic wellness hasn't stopped since. She's completed over 600 hours of training in Hatha yoga, meditation, breath work, women's wellness, yoga therapy, trauma-informed yoga, interesting, pre- and postnatal wellness, health coaching, and more. Loved it. Kelly has lived in Australia, Europe, Central America, Southeast Asia, and now back in her hometown of Florida. She's passionate about travel, nature, holistic wellness, and community building. She believes when these are combined, magic can happen. I agree. Kelly encourages her students to seek their edge, to step outside of their comfort zone and lean into the infinite possibilities available to them, all while creating a safe and nurturing container of support. Love that. Love it. Love it. I love when I have these conversations because like we know each other, you know, and I say no because I'm like, you know, we in the space and we've done a couple of events, but now I'm like really going to know and dive deep. So I'm excited for this. Okay. Please share before we get started. What is your favorite book or one that you would like to recommend? Ooh, okay. Okay. First of all, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So a book that I've been recommending a lot to my retreat guests and clients has been The Comfort Crisis Mm -hmm. by Michael Easter. And it's just a book that really makes you reevaluate your relationship with how comfortable we've gotten and how uncomfortable we are with discomfort. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gives you a little bit of that challenge to sure. get out there and try something new and and maybe put yourself into in something that might be physically uncomfortable as well. And there's a lot of the science behind why that's mm. building physical resilience is good for our longevity. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's there's so much behind it. But I was I've never highlighted a book that much th- than this year at least in a really long time. So that was that's one. And then a fiction books. I love, I love, I love fiction. fiction. I love I'm a huge fiction. reader. Yeah. A book that changed my life was Shantaram and they mm-hmm. did a Apple TV series okay. on it, which I haven't really got, been able to get too much into the, the series, but the book, it's really long. It's like 600 pages or something Oof. like that. And the first 400 pages are kind of slow. <laughs> and then it picks up. <laughs> I'm always like, you have to stick through page 300. And people are like, you lost me. You yeah, lost yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really good. It's about this man's journey from escaping prison in Australia and then fleeing to India and his whole life, building his life in India. And they cover love and war and religion. And just it's just all these massive topics. I remember finishing that last page and being like, wait, what? It's done? Like, it was such a big part of my life. It took so long to read. And uh, yeah, I love that book. (laughs) And you can tell I was so passionate and so passionate about it. Oh, good. And I always love asking questions about books because I also am an avid reader. And it sounds like the first book that you mentioned is something maybe even to apply not only um, to our personal lives, but in how we parent. Yes. Because I, I, I know now, like we hear a lot of like how supposedly our generation of parenting, like we don't let our children get hurt. And, and there's a lot more kind of pause with certain things. But I'm sure that that's a good reminder of having that balance. Because I also say, I mean, we are in a different world you know than we were like my son is not going to be playing outside solo like it's just not going to happen at least not now totally where I kind of remember being seven eight years old nine like I don't I like I just played outside all day yeah 
So there's certain levels of it, but I would imagine that that book maybe gives a different perspective of like how important it is as that reminder to let our children be resilient on their own, because at some point we're not going to be here and they have to figure it out themselves. Yeah. And he talks about that in the book mm. actually too, the differences between obviously childhood in the eighties and childhood yes. now is vastly different worlds. And like you said, the, the safety levels yeah. and just what's happening, even in my own community, which is one of the safest communities here in South Florida, something happened to a neighbor the other day. And I was like, what? Like I grew up here. We used to leave our doors open, our garage doors open. People would walk around the back and knock on our glass and it wouldn't be a problem. And it's just not the same world. So yes, there are those safety risks, those safety aspects to it. But in the book, he definitely goes into what's happening to our children because we're not letting them get uncomfortable. And uncomfortable, like, no, you can't have your fifth snack of the day yes. or <laughs> go barefoot and run in the dirt. You know, it's, it's those those things. So yeah, no, love it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm like these kind of conversations, I'm like, oh, I feel like we could talk forever. I know. But I know we have a we have a, a straight thing here of, of the different topics we want to talk about. So yoga, yoga, mindfulness, holistic wellness, 15 years old. Talk to me as high level of where the inspiration came from at 15. And then we're going to talk into the importance of yoga because I think sometimes we hear it as almost like a foo-foo thing. Totally. Even though I love yoga and understand the benefits of it, but I still think it has a certain like level to it that isn't what I know it can be really used for. So first talk 100%. about your introduction into it, why you're so passionate about it, and then we'll get into the mental health benefits of it. Yeah. Okay. So when I was 15, I was a competitive swimmer. So I had been swimming since I was six or seven years old and I was at a really high competitive level by the time I was 15. And there's only so many times your body can move in the mm -hmm. same direction over and over and over again, up and down, up and down the pool. And my shoulder ended up giving out and I had tendonitis. I had all this inflammation. I had all this issue. I was seeing the chiropractor. I was seeing the massage therapist and it would, it was almost like a band aid, Like it wasn't really sure. quite getting better. So eventually my coach at the time, really the only yoga around was Bikram yoga, which was really heated, intense, specific sequence of poses that you would do. But that was really the only thing around. And my coach at the time was like, hey, there's this thing called yoga. I think it's supposed to be really good for your mobility and it's heated. So it might be good for your shoulder. So you get more range of motion through your shoulder. So I started going and my first yoga class, I think you know, at 15 and being an athlete, I was very competitive. I liked the like grit sure. of get your leg to do this and then bend this way. And then flip. Yeah, it, yeah, like I was getting really competitive and it was very physical. The Bikram yoga was at very, was very much leaned on the physicality of yoga rather than more the subtle aspects of sure. yoga. But it was a great entry point for me. And I exhausted myself that 75 minutes and I laid down in Shavasana and I went to Catholic school my entire life. We went to church. We we prayed. You know, we did all those things. But that was my first time laying in that shavasana that my mind was quiet enough and I could have a—I had a full conversation with God. Like, I remember hearing this really deep voice, but it was my own voice. Like, it was like sure, my own absolutely. intuition. It was maybe a conversation with my own intuition. But I remember thinking, I'm going to do this. Like, this is going to be something that I do. I'm going to own a studio. I'm going to be a yoga teacher. And, you know, it was just something that I was like, I—this is it. But, of course, I didn't think it was something that could be a career, <laughs> especially back, back then. then. There was yeah. no there was no evidence of that being a viable career path for somebody. So years down the track, I just continued to practice. I got more deep into it. Did it help your shoulder? It helped my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I still used – you know, I still saw the chiropractor. I still saw the physical therapist. But sure. it was such a great complementary aspect of my healing. 
And then through college, I pr still continued to practice. And it really wasn't until I we went to Southeast Asia, me and my partner, now husband at mm -hmm. the time, we went to Southeast Asia in my early 20s. And I really got steeped into Buddhism and Hinduism. And there was all these amazing, incredible teachers where I remember taking a class and I was like, wait, the breath? What? The meditation? What? What are you talking about? All these yamas and niyamas and the eight <laughs> limbs of yoga. I was like, I know how to do a handstand. All right. I'm good. But I got to go really deep into my practice. And then from there, it just continued to get deeper and deeper. And here we are. <laughs> no, because it's awesome because to start so young and to recognize that I'm sure was such a gift for you. So there's so many different ways I can take that, but I want to bring it into again to stay true to what this podcast is and for my listeners for motherhood. Now you're a mom. Can you talk about the ages of your girls? Yes, I have a three and a one-year-old. Gosh, three and one. Ooh. Yeah, I'm in it. I'm you're in the in thick it. of it. You're in it. Um, <laughs> talk to me how you used yoga, the practice of yoga into motherhood and how it has changed for you from practicing before becoming a mom and now. And is it even more like you're like, oh, thank God I have this. And then how can yoga help maybe a listener listening to this to help them manage their stress? And do you think, like you were saying, like bend your leg. Like I think sometimes for ourselves, like we might overcomplicate things and think like, oh, it's too hard. So we don't even begin. So kind of talk like all together, like how it's changed now and then how a listener or a mother listening to this can incorporate it into their lives. Yeah, 100%. So I... I had done a prenatal and postnatal certification for yoga a year before I was even pregnant with my first. So I knew that I wanted to get in the women's wellness space. I was working in women's wellness yoga therapy for a while. I had my own reproductive challenges and my own menstrual conditions that I was dealing with, with endometriosis. So I was already going into a deep dive. So I did pre and postnatal yoga teacher training. I started teaching prenatal yoga before I had ever been pregnant, which was hysterical because although everything I was doing was safe, it was like, then I find, then I got pregnant and I started teaching prenatal yoga and I was like, oh, <laughs> I have a much better understanding of what's actually going on now. But I think having that experience of going through the pre and postnatal training, being a teacher all through my pregnancy, practicing all through my pregnancy. And again, that, that changed drastically what I felt comfortable doing. I leaned a lot more into the more subtle aspects of the practice, really practicing my breath through mm -hmm. the practice. I know we're going to talk about breath yeah. a little later, but really leaning into my breath work so that really using my practice as childbirth prep. And that's what I teach during my prenatal classes. And, and I really do think when you practice for as long as I have and as consistently as I have, it's less about, okay, I go on my mat and I do my yoga or I do my breath. It becomes a part of who you are and you can really get a really sure. good sense of that interoception of what's happening in your body and how you can use your breath to help adjust what's happening in your life. And so postnatally, pretty much right off the bat, as soon as I started feeling like I felt I could stand up or even just sit, I was doing simple things like legs up the wall. I'd lay down on the floor and put my legs up the wall. So good for you. I would do reclined butterfly yeah. pose and just the breath and the breath and the breath, because that's really the most accessible thing for pregnancy and postpartum. Now through motherhood, I'm able to, I'm kind of at a stage where I do have a little bit more time in my day because both of my girls are in school and I'm working. So I kind of slot in a more formal practice, I guess you could say, by getting on the mat and going to studios that I love. And, sure. and, and part of my practice is I, it's, is teaching because that's, that's part of my job. But the, the practice changes as your body changes through pregnancy and postpartum. And then it changes just with your time. And so now it's more 
what is going to give me the most impact with the least amount of effort. And for me, that's my breath and meditation practice, breath work and meditation. And if I get some movement in a little bit here and there formally with yoga, that's great. But I think for me, my practice has now really shifted into, okay, if I've only got 10 minutes, I'm a hundred percent utilizing that for my breath work because I can see how much my breath is correlated to how I can handle resilience and stress and how my tolerance level for chaos can increase by just being able to manage my own emotions through my breath. And can I ask, do you find that there is a correlation that when you have the moment to stop, and of course you're armed with the knowledge of what that breath work looks like, right? And I know that's why you're trying to teach it to then pass it down. But can you talk to me about when you have time to do it and when you don't and what the difference is like, like you said, your tolerance level, are you more frustrated? Are you, do you have more overwhelm? Speak on that. Yeah. Cause I really want my listeners to get a sense of, like you said, even if it's just kind of laying down legs up the wall, which I hear it has great benefits for like the whole body mm-hmm. about how that can change the stress levels. Yeah, absolutely. So your emotions, what you're feeling in your body can directly affect your breath rate and your breath quality. And the inverse is true. Your breath quality and your breath rate can directly influence your emotions. So if you're feeling, let's say, anxious Mm -hmm. or you're feeling angry and you kind of feel that short and sharp breath, that shallow breath up in your chest and you're not taking deep breaths, that's only exacerbating that anxiety more. But if you were to just pause for a second, just take five really deep breaths slow breaths all the way down to your belly and really slow everything down. You're actually changing your biological markers for stress. You're slowing down your breath rate. You're slowing down your heart rate and you are um, lowering your blood pressure. So you're able to just really allow yourself to physically lower your biological markers for stress, which then your brain and body connection is able to interpret your environment in a different way so that you can react or respond in a more objective tone. Oh, I love that. Because basically you're saying the brain doesn't know the difference because it's feeding off of our body. So if our body is in that fight or flight mode, that survival, because we're up to here, our brain is like going like this, right? Exactly. Like all over. But you're and saying- it's searching for threats. I was going to say, so then of course we're more reactive, whether to our partners or our closest to us, where you're saying, but if you tell your body to slow down, then your brain then kind of meets it. Oh my God, it's so interesting the way you broke it down that way. Because like I said, I know the things I've done, the yoga's done some of the breath work, but being described like that really paints a picture of how the body and the brain really work together and how when we are on this heightened level of like survival mode, our brain doesn't know the difference because it's just feeding off of our body. Yeah, absolutely. And it it just comes down to the emotional, your own emotional regulation by regulating your nervous system and the lower or sorry, the slower that we can breathe, especially on the exhale. So if you're feeling really anxious, feeling overwhelmed, feeling irritated, like Mm -hmm. for me, my anxiety gets represented through anger and irritation and frustration. So outbursts happen a lot or I'll be fine, fine, fine. And then one big noise happens and there's a huge outburst. And, you know, so that's how it gets manifested for me. So for me, being able to slow my exhale down, let's say I inhale for three and exhale for six. So I'm doubling the length of my exhale. That is physically, it's signaling to your nervous system that the exhale allows you to, 
tap more into that parasympathetic nervous system as opposed to that sympathetic, which is the fight or flight. You're able to tap more into that rest, digest, that safety zone, that thrive zone rather than the survive zone. And so just honestly, even just five rounds of that allows you enough time to slow down decide how you're going to respond to this situation rather than immediately go into react mode. And is it something that moms can do if they're washing dishes and they start like talk about like the different times, like random, like it doesn't need to be a whole, like be in a dark room, get your yoga mat. Like you can incorporate it in the car. right? Yes. Uh, So that is something that when you asked, how has my practice changed? I think that's really the main (laughs) thing is instead of having my formal 30 minute practice that I would typically do pre kids or even after my first kid, I was able to find the time to sit down. She was a great sleeper. So I knew I could get up at five 30 and have a whole hour and not even hear a peep from her. Second kid, not a great sleeper. I never know what's going to happen. <laughs> I, so, you know, it's it, my practice has changed in that capacity where maybe it's not a 30-minute breath work or yoga cr- class or, sorry, yoga practice in the morning. But while I'm doing dishes, I make it a mindfulness moment where I feel the water in my hands. I smell the soap. I really look at the plate. And then during that time, I'm taking slow breaths, mm-hmm. driving. Driving for me is where, unless there's a really, really good podcast episode on that I'm really excited to listen to, I typically just turn everything off, sit in the silence, allow myself to kind of have that sensory deprivation. Sure. Oh, of like course, that. there's driving and you're looking around well, yeah. and there's, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, South you're not Florida. Zoned out. Yeah, yeah. You're not zoned out and it's <laughs> South Florida. So there's always something crazy happening on the roads. But it's kind of that time for me to have that sensory deprivation in terms of sound. And then again, breathe, allowing myself to bring in the breath again. So driving in a safe way, doing the dishes, of course. And then I sometimes, if my children are drawing or they're playing, I just kind of just sit there and watch them. And again, go into that mindfulness moment where you don't have to be inserting yourself into their play all the time. You can sit back and just observe them and be really mindful of how does their face look, the way the light hits their face, the that their smell, what's happening, and then Which automatically lowers your low, exactly, and then you can bring your breath in. Going for a walk, amazing time for mindfulness, and even for your kids. Did you notice the sound of those birds? Do you see that cloud? What, what do you see on the ground there? And then you can bring in the breath while you're walking. Sure, no, I think there. I like the. To, I can see one of the the show notes quotes being like, just look for the mindful moments because I think that's so important. And I think in motherhood, it makes it even more important and so pivotal to look for the mindfulness moments because I think we are on autopilot. I mean, as a society, we're on autopilot. I'm sure we can have a whole conversation of how everything is go, go, go. But then we bring in children and I'm constantly aware of that because now that my little guy is in kindergarten, you know, I'm like, goodness gracious, he has to be at school at eight. And, you know, I told my husband, I don't want him to have this like, Thing of like he's just gonna remember us that like come on we got to go like every morning that that was mm-hmm. like his childhood the urgency the urgency, urgency culture yeah and the anxiety that comes with it I know we use anxiety I think it's an overused word but it is a level of like I gotta go um, so I've kind of learned to find mindful moments too so I, I love that so all the mamas listening try and find the mindful moment and understand that even if it's just and and the breath work I want to go back into that before we talk about travel the breath work with it. I know you mentioned like some deep breaths in. Is there a wrong or right way to breathe? And maybe like just explain where it really is coming from. Again, I've taken yoga. So I know they say the diaphragm and you kind of breathe in. But if a mom is in like a fight or flight mode, I'm assuming like just breathe, just breathe in and out. And then maybe later on when you have a time to uh, you develop, but maybe talk about the really not right 
way to breathe, but mm. it's the really way to kind of like bring it in. Maybe just talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, totally. So it this is going to depend on who you talk to. There's mm. a lot of different breathwork practices, sure. breathwork gurus. I'm a, I'm coming from it from the hatha a, a hatha yogic perspective, okay. which is less is best. Mm, so okay. we you see a lot in the Wim Hof or in in a lot of modern day breathwork practices which have their very specific purposes, but oftentimes it's misplaced onto the average everyday person that mm, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily beneficial for them sure. in that capacity, not that it, it, it is beneficial for certain people in certain circumstances. But from a yogic perspective, less is best in terms of slowing slowing the breath down in and out through the nose. So when you're breathing in and, in and out through your mouth, you're taking in more oxygen through your mouth. You're actually bypassing all of the filtration that happens through your nose and a whole like thousands sure. of other amazing benefits of breathing in and out of your nose. But in and out through your nose decreases the amount of breath that goes in and out. So it actually can slow the breath down. And again, trying to go slower with your breath. So five seconds in, five seconds out, six seconds in, six seconds out. And again, when we were talking about that anxious breath or that overwhelmed breath is more up in the chest. So we have three major breathing muscles or areas in the body. We have the diaphragm, which lives below the rib cage, which is what really is helping when we say belly breathing and you feel your belly kind of expand. That's your diaphragm pressing down. And really the only way to go from there is your belly goes out. So that's when we're meaning belly breathing is your diaphragm. Then you have your ribs around your intercostal muscles that allows your ribs to expand in and out. And then you have your accessory muscles of up by your collarbone and through your neck. And those accessory muscles were really used in primal times of you're running away from a lion and you got to run, 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 and you got to breathe that last little bit of oxygen so that you can run faster. But most of us are living up here in these accessory muscles of the chest, the collarbone, and and the neck. So if we're able to allow the breath to go deeper down into the diaphragm, we're filling up with more oxygen. We're allowing ourselves to slow the breath down and we're not living in this kind of anxiety zone of chest breathing. And if for anyone who's never tried it before, you'll see a big difference in the way that you feel when you breathe that way. Do you try and incorporate that with your, with your girls? Yes, a hundred percent. Well, my, my youngest is too young, but with my oldest, we do something where if she's feeling a little overwhelmed and, and I'm able to regulate her down you can't really go into sure. it and be like well in the middle Absolutely. of a tantrum like slow breathing but we do something where I put my finger by her mouth and I say smell in the flower so breathe the flower and she breathes in through her nose and then blow out the candle and she breathes out through her mouth because although nose breathing is great sure. for us at, at this stage and stage for me and you for kids it's kind of hard to teach them that right sure. away so that's a really fun way to kind of get her when she blows all the air out it's kind of like but getting ima- all that out. But imagine how much that will help as she gets older, though, that you've even introduced it. Because I think I read somewhere there was a school that, and I don't know where, but that they were introducing more mindfulness and breathing instead of like detention. Right. Um, because I do believe like little kids, I'm like, a lot of times it's not like bad behavior. It's just, you know, maybe it could be a million and one thing. Some kids just aren't meant to sit at a desk. Well, I don't think any child is, but that's a whole nother That's a whole nother that's topic. That's a whole nother topic that we can talk about. But I think imagine what that would be if our children learned how to grow up into adults and not to be adults and retrain ourselves, exactly. right? It's much more difficult to retrain in how we do that. One last question, but not about the breath work. Trauma-infused yoga. Yeah. That was one thing I want to go back to. What is that and who is that for? Yeah. So 
a lot of us, if if not everyone, has been through some level of trauma, big T trauma or little T trauma. It depends on complex trauma. It depends. But a trauma could even be something as feeling dismissed as a kid. Sure. You have the most loving parents in the world, but even just feeling like slightly dismissed. So there's so many things that we can't control as parents mm -hmm. and it's not for us to go back and be like, <laughs> oh my God, I'm ruining my kid forever. It's just like th things are going to happen. But trauma-informed yoga particularly is being very aware of the cues that you're using, the level of authority that you're using in your class as well. The... It, usually it's typically sensory deprivation. So we try not to use a lot of smells mm. or oils because you don't know what is triggering to sure. somebody. Almost always never placing hands on someone because a lot of times in studios or other classes or teachers, they do a lot of hands-on adjustments. You have no idea what somebody's past sure. experience is. You have no idea what part of the body is a hard no for somebody. So unless it's a private client and you have a very intimate relationship with them where sure. you know their history I typically go I always err on the caution of not having any adjustments for my students unless they specifically ask for it and it just being very aware that everyone's experiences are different and there are so many things that you can do as a yoga teacher because oftentimes any sort of instructor a fitness instructor a coach a sure. yoga teacher a doctor people place Sometimes they place you on a little bit of a pedestal because you're in front of a class having some sort of authority. And so just being very aware of what that level of authority and, and telling somebody like, now you're going to put your foot here. Now I want you to do this. It's like being very aware of the cues that you're using. Sure. So it's, it might feel nice to now place your foot at the top of the mat. Perhaps it feels good to do this. So instead of being like, it will feel like this. Wow. You're giving the student the power to decide what it feels like. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. And you're familiar with Dr. BG, mm -mm. Dr. BG Mancini. She's a functional medicine doctor in plantation. Fantastic. Oh, I, great. Um, shameless plug. Did a podcast episode with her. A oh, few awesome. Episodes back. She's I've had fantastic. a couple people ask me about functional medicine doctors. She's, she's All right, amazing. I'm gonna get and actually, I need to connect with her <laughs> for my own self because I tell everyone once I turn 40, shit just hit the fan. But... <laughs> But she's great. And I had asked her because she works with trauma as well. She's just fantastic. And she's been doing this since she's 15, but she's like in her 40s. I mean, she's been doing this long time of like functional medicine, holistic and all of the things. But she was like, you have a pulse. She was like, every person has trauma. Exactly. But to your point, is it big? Is it small? Is it as not as simple, but complex. you know, is it complex? Is it complex? Yeah. Is it like you said that it was more dismissive since a child or is it serious? So she mm. was like, we all do. And we were talking in a form of like, when should moms really like, you know, you know, because I kind of laughed it off and I was like, oh, well, you know, should all moms go for like trauma, whatever? And she's like, absolutely. Yes. She's like, because you can pass trauma to our child. So that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. But that's inf that's interesting that there are different. I know the EMDR and that there's now the trauma infused yoga that I've never heard of. But they're all resources that if someone is struggling or maybe a little deeper with certain things that they can incorporate that. Right. And And I honestly think that any pre and postnatal training should include at least one component of the curriculum should include trauma informed because in, in and of itself, birth is a trauma to the body. Sure. Like whether it was the most perceived beautiful birth sure. that you had, like your body went through a trauma or you have gone on the other end of the spectrum where it, you, it was a traumatic birth and you're dealing with the physical, emotional sure. and spiritual, so you know, consequences of that. And so I do think that pre and postnatal training should include a lot of trauma informed care. And that's something that 
although it was a specific training for a specific subset of people sure. that we were working with at that time, I've now taken those components and that's from all of my general classes, all of my retreats. I take those components and I use them into my training. I love that because to your point, like we said, everyone's suffering on some level. And then when you're a mother and come with it, like to your point, yeah, I know, unfortunately, a lot of women who've had the traumatic birth experiences from the level of really not having the birth that they wanted and all the things. Exactly. So that's often that you awesome that you incorporate that. Okay, travel. Yes. Let's dive into that. So you lived in Australia and Europe, Central America, South. I love it. When did you first fall in love with travel and how did you get to live in those wonderful places? So let's talk about that. Like, and I'm sure travel connects with the mindfulness and with even I'm sure with yoga and all of the holisticness. So talk about your love for travel and why do you feel everyone should be traveling? Yeah. (laughs) So it was funny. I interviewed you for my podcast, Transform with Travel, and you had asked me after the interview, you were like, you know, I was really interested in finding out what got you so inspired to travel. And so I actually... I recorded a whole solo episode on it because I was so inspired by that. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not aired yet. But um, a lot of people have like a specific trip where they're like, I went to Spain in my 20s and it changed my life. Or my friend forced me to go on this trip because I didn't want to go yeah. and it changed my life. I Travel has been infused in my life since since I've been born, before I've been born. My, my dad traveled a lot with his family domestically. My parents traveled together all over. They lived in London together. They traveled all through Europe. My dad went through in a camper van around Europe. So I grew up hearing stories of travel of my dad and his nine siblings packing in the car and going to the World Fair in Chicago. My parents doing crazy things in Europe. Like I grew up listening to stories and knowing that this adventure, this life of travel is normal. And then on top of that, we had experiences, nothing crazy international growing up, but we went to Colorado. We did camping trips. We went to the Keys. We went on cruises a lot. My dad's Royal Caribbean used to be one of his clients. So it's a thread in my life. And I really think the power of stories, I don't remember that trip when I was two, when We went to Colorado, but I've seen pictures standing on a mountaintop with my parents when I was two. And I've heard that story so many times of when I threw up in the car of getting motion sickness. I I think I have a memory of it. And so I think it's so important, especially with parents. Like we hear this all the time. I don't want to go here because they're not going to remember it. I'm not going to go on the trip to Paris because they're too young and they're not going to remember. Or it's a 10 hour flight and the anxiousness of the travel. And that's a whole whole other thing that we can talk about. But they, it will be infused in who they are and their personality. If we think teaching them manners and being polite and being a kind person and, and having a love for reading, if we think we're infusing that in them by reading them books every night and by teaching them, thank you. And please, why, why don't we think that showing them the world and showing them diversity and showing them all the fun things that they can do around the world? Why don't we think that that would also be part of their personality? Let me ask, how do you think your life would be different if you never traveled? Do you, you I would don't not even be, know. You wouldn't even know. I wouldn't be the person that I am. I the trust in myself to take risks, like you said, moving to Australia. We lived in Thailand. I've lived in Costa Rica. The trust in myself to be able to say, "Hell yeah, I can do that. I, I can go a- across the world and start a new life." What's the worst that happens? I come back home, right. and that's also something that my parents have done a really good job on, and something that I will hundred percent do my best to replicate with my kids is letting us fly free and knowing that we have a nest to come back to if shit hits the fan, you know? And so travel for me has 
opened up my eyes. I remember when I first moved to Australia, I went to this music festival. How old were you? I was, I just graduated college. Oh, good for you. So me and my husband, we met in Ireland in 2013. <laughs> and then I moved to Australia six months later. I love it. After I graduated. I love it. I know that's a whole, probably a whole nother story we can Episode one yeah. of my <laughs> podcast goes <laughs> oh, deep oh. into that. So. Okay, okay, yes, yes. <laughs> so if anyone's interested, yeah. shameless plugs. So, <laughs> so I remember we were sitting at a music festival with my husband and two of his very close friends that he grew up with. And at the time, there was a lot of, I mean, I guess there's always political unrest happening in the U.S. But there was a lot of like civil things going on. And I remember them asking me a lot about race in America and a lot about because they don't they didn't really have that same perspective. And they were asking me really deep questions. And my and my answer ended up being, I I don't I don't know. It's just what my dad told me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, what? having somebody else from outside the U S probe me about my own opinions yes. about stuff happening in the U S made me reevaluate mm -hmm. who I was. My values have changed so much. I look back at Facebook showing me memories from 13 years ago. I'm like, shut up, get out of here. Yeah. Like I'm embarrassed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my values have changed. My comp compassion for the world has changed. My empathy levels have changed. My, my activism, my level of wanting to get involved with the world because I see what's happening around the world, having firsthand knowledge of how certain islands are getting destroyed by climate, how certain people are the suffering. Real, the truth, because you're seeing it. Yeah, and it's not to be like a Debbie Downer. It's just like, wow, these are real people with real problems and I want to help. So travel has just opened up. It's opened up my entire life for me. And now that's it's what I do as a business is to help people see the world in a different capacity. And we're definitely well. going to talk about that and even dive in into the transformative travel. But I want to touch upon because I think I might have talked about this on our conversation on your podcast. But I think I mentioned when I went to Africa. So my love for travel came and I remember traveling with my parents, which not often, but we did in the times we did it. In, it was like a full on memory and loved it. 100%. Then my sister and I were like, gosh, I wish we would have done more of that. But then I met my husband and he was was like, yeah, no, I travel. And he was like, with or without you, I'll travel. So when we first started dating, I'm like, yeah, he's like, with or without you, I'm traveling. So either get your money or figure something out. I remember the first time he left to go, I forget where it was like Labor Day, something in New York. Like he just traveled everywhere. He has family everywhere. So he can stay everywhere. And he left. And I was like, oh, like he was serious. He and meant that. <laughs> and he was like, babe, like every few months, like I have to go. That is my like reset. That is my recharge. And there's a reason to this because I, you mentioned the safety. And I think sometimes in America, we have this kind of like very like, but it's so safe here. And we have this fear mongering of like right. what other countries are like. And I remember we were like staying in Wimbledon in London and um, it was like dark and we were walking and I was like so scared or something. And he's like, babe, like it's okay. He just opened up my eyes basically of knowing like, if you go in with the energy of like this positive energy that it'll be okay. We have met some of the greatest people on mm -hmm. our travels, still friends with them to this day on Facebook. And he just opened up the world of like, like step out of your comfort zone. And it's so funny because I'm the planner and he's more of the like kind of fly kind of go with it. So it's a good fusion because I don't necessarily plan for our vacations, but I'll say, okay, let's hit this landmark that he might not have known about. So it's totally. a nice fusion. But I say when we went to Africa, his friend moved from Brooklyn there and lives there. His wife's a teacher. So we got to stay not in the hotels of Nairobi. And then we ended up going to Mombasa, but like like a condo like in it. And I remember like we had no AC. The lights kept going out and we had a freaking fantastic time. Mm -hmm. And then I remember coming back and saying, God, I hope I don't have like that 
first world problem that I'm like worried about my Starbucks or like we were talking about before that go, go, go constant. Like I was like, I remember sleeping there. Like we had, again, no AC. So the window was open. We had a small blank, but like we were fine. I slept like, what again, what's the worst that can happen? And I remember being like, oh, the appreciation that I wish and staying there saying, I wish more people experience that and not staying in a five-star hotel, but really immersing yourself in the culture Mm -hmm. because there's a deep appreciation that does come back when you come home that you can carry with you and be like, well, maybe my problem isn't such a big problem when there's people that have to go to a pharmacy to get water to brush their teeth. Yeah, totally. It gives a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what country you went to that I know this is hard I'm sure but like maybe that have left the most impact on you maybe not your favorite but that have really left like impact on you yeah that's a really good question because you do often get where's your favorite country where are you going and I was going to ask like your top three but no I want to ask like what has been most impactful it's probably a split between two and they are relatively similar and also close in proximity so you can kind of lump them but India Mm -hmm. was definitely definitely the biggest impact on me in terms of, to your point, the understanding the level of privilege and understanding the level of basic needs that are such a gift to be just open your tap and have water, have running sewage. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I saw kids going to the bathroom in the middle of the street, but also the amount of love, like the, like the collective there is so palpable. Like you often have to ground yourself. Like I was floating around India. It was, I remember looking around me like, am I here right now? Like it was, it is just so, it's such a pulsing, vibrating like portal basically. And I'm not one to talk like that, but like (laughs) it is like, it's hard to stay grounded there, but to just see the, like the fervent spirituality and everything that they do, Despite um, how, like you were saying, how I yeah. can be here because I know the caste system, and you have like really, really rich, and like the poor, the, the poor, yeah. yeah, and and that is something that's especially in like Bangladesh mm-hmm. is is tricky because you have we went to this like night market at the JW Marriott, and then literally two streets over, it's like an entire Let entire ask, slum. How do you feel with that? Do you ever have the guilt with it? Because I know I do. I think sometimes I suffer with that. And it might even get me emotional because like sometimes I stop, I'm like, God, like I'm like, how am I here doing and yeah. adding to their thing? But then it's like, but you know, it's, it's it, I, I sometimes do have guilt. It's a tricky, it's, it's definitely a tricky thing to navigate because- on one hand, you're like, okay, my economic dollar is Correct. helping, but is it helping that specific person? And so I think it's just a matter of choosing your tour operators wisely, mm. making sure that they're from, that. they're from, they are actually local tour operators. It's not some big conglomerate. Being really mindful of the places that you're going to eat, respecting them, re- respecting. So that's a, that's I think that's honestly the biggest thing is not looking down with pity or not being like, I remember one time we were, we had dinner in New Delhi and it was with a, a woman from Connecticut and a man from Transylvania. It was, it was, so quite, it was quite, it was quite in an Italian restaurant nice. in New Delhi. And I remember my husband was really having a hard time coming to terms with just seeing the way that things were done, the way that some of the women were treated, mm. the way that we had to constantly be on lookout for me. We got a lot of, a lot of people that had been to India had said, Sam, just be ready. Like they, like Kelly might get touched. They might try to grab her hair. They might like, so we're just trying to like mentally prepare and he can't fight back because it's like, it can be a mob sometimes. So, so that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But anyways, we're sitting at dinner and he, 
was just going on and on like this would never happen in Australia. This it would never be like this in Australia. And the man from Transylvania turns around and he's like, "You're not in Australia, dude. Like you like mm -hmm. this is the way it is here. You have to accept mm -hmm. where you are. Like this is it may not it this may not be the way that is people should be treated. This might not be that people should have access to mm -hmm. basic needs, but it's just the way it is here. So you're either going to have a really hard time over the next five weeks, or you just got to let go of those preconceptions of what you, how you think people should be living and their life. minded with it all. Oh, yeah. I love that. Because I think that is what the beauty of travel is. Once I let that go as well, I think I appreciated and really was more present yeah. when I kind of let go of whatever my expectation is of what I thought it should be. Totally. Talk about another place. That, I know you said India yeah. was the first impactful. Yeah, yeah. So India and, of course, you know, the food and the festivals and we had the most amazing people. But then we ended up having an extra month available to us. We were traveling for a year. We had mm -hmm. to move away from the island that we were in in Indonesia because there was an earthquake and all wow. of our plans kind of got all changed up. And so we decided we had an extra month and Sri Lanka wasn't really on our list. Like it was, but we were, I didn't think we'd have time for it. And it's only, it's right off the coast of India. Yeah, we so were we go went for our honeymoon. We went to Sri Lanka and hands down, I would say, I, I can never say it's my absolute favorite because there's so many different countries, <laughs> but it is definitely in the top three of my really? favorite country in the oh, entire world. There's safaris, there's elephants, there's wildlife, there's world-class surfing, there's beginner surfing, there's scuba diving in the middle of the country. There's incredible ancient ruins. There's incredible hikes that you can do. The food is like, is like, Balinese mixed with Indonesian, sorry, mixed with Indian mixed. Like, it's just like the most beautiful, rich food. The people are so friendly. It is, it, it's stunning. And we were a hundred percent trying to go back with the kids because it's also, we didn't have kids at the time, so I can't give firsthand experience, but we know a lot of families that have moved there. A lot of families that have spent really? extensive time there. It is extremely kid friendly everyone welcomes kids into the community, into the restaurants. You're not seen as like a nuisance. Sure. Kids don't have to be quiet. Like it is an extremely kid-friendly place. So it's 100% somewhere we're going to go back and try to go spend some oh, extensive I love time. It. Yeah, that was kind of on our, our list. We ended up doing Thailand and the Maldives. Oh, um, amazing. But yeah, but Sri Lanka was, I was like, do we have time? Because I had heard great things, not described that described the way you have and this is going back I don't know seven years ago but um yeah I'm glad because I'm putting that so before we go into rising nature retreats mm -hmm. and your podcast what's a bucket list of places that you have yet to visit and yeah. what would surprise someone of a place that you would like to go to Ooh. oh wow okay so bucket list that I haven't because I feel like like Australia that's on people's bucket list I, like, I feel like you've done a lot of bucket list-esque places but there's so many places in the world I know you're really catching me off guard here <laughs> Because <laughs> we're doing we're doing a big five week trip at the end of the year, Love and we're it. going to Singapore and with Malaysia and Thailand with my kids. But we've been to all those places. So, okay. So actually, I, I have I have my spot. Scotland. Mm. Really want to go back to Scotland. I'm a huge Outlander fan, so I really want to go to Scotland and go I, check that's out. That's on my bucket yeah, list. Yeah, hundred percent. And then I'm going to say this wrong, but the Azores, the mm. islands off of Portugal, there's, it's supposed to be like the Hawaii of Europe and it looks amazing. So I want to go to the Azores and I think it's called Lanzarote, Lanzarote, Lanzarote. Someone's going to yell at me for saying that wrong, but <laughs> that it's like small island chain. I would love to explore more of more islands in Greece. I've been to Greece, but there's just so many islands that I think you could really just like slow slow living, slow life your way all the way through those islands. 
And then I know that there's one more, and I'm trying to think of it. We were just talking about this, but it'll come. It'll come. Do you and your husband ever think? Because my husband and I talk about it of like just selling everything and just like being nomads. My husband just said this last night. <laughs> said I think we can. I think we can get X amount for rent for our place. Let's just pack it up and go. That's like our. But it's also both of our like challenge conflict responses as soon as something goes wrong we're like that's it we're gone (laughs) but we have two dogs like it's not even the kids it's like the dogs what do you do with the dogs but there is something beautiful to that I think to your point is like you know that that is an option you know it's always there Um, my husband oh I guess this is my last question have you thought about buying property in other countries yes Yes, so I was just down in Costa Rica for our last retreat for rising nature retreats back in September and we were there I looked for at different five different properties there Costa Rica is definitely on our list I I lived in Costa Rica in 2011 I've hosted two retreats there I love it so much it's a two and a half hour flight from Fort Lauderdale The people are amazing. The culture is incredible. The The Pura Vida lifestyle is just like it, it encompasses everything that we want to instill in our children. So it's definitely something that is if it is not on the very, very soon radar, it's definitely in the next two to three year plan. My husband's Jamaican and Guyanese. I'm Puerto Rican and Italian. And we found out that we can get our basically our citizenship and I can get on the Italian side through my maternal grandmother. My husband definitely can get Jamaican citizenship because of his mom. So he's like, we're getting that. Like he's been pushing me to get it. He's like, let's, let's do this so that we're able to like, yeah, our dream would be to have like properties in different areas and we can just like hop, right? Like that's our, like our thinking. But yeah, let's talk about rising nature retreats. I I just remembered. I just remembered. Okay. I have not seen a lot of the U.S. That is what might Mm. be surprising to people. I've been Uh, to 40 countries. I haven't seen, I've seen a lot of the North, a lot of the East, Eastern board of the U.S., I have not done anything out west. Really? Never been to California? I mean, I've been to like L.A., but that's yeah, not. Uh, the, like. <laughs> I love L.A. I love I mean, San I love Diego. L.A., San but Diego. there's so many. No, I want to go to San Diego. San beautiful. I, wanna, I haven't seen the Grand Canyon. Oh, I haven't okay. been to Zion. So I, I want to go. You, because yeah. I've done a lot of the U.S. Exactly. A little we'll both. swap stories. Oh, yes. So that okay. might be surprising to people is I haven't seen a lot of the U.S. And it's so funny because my husband is like more like international, but I've told him like, but babe, there's so much beauty. We actually, have you been to Montana? No, no it's on my list. Listen, <laughs> I can't believe I did that. I was like, I know that there's something I need to say. Listen, if you can go to Montana, we stayed there for a wedding so random on this like beautiful campsite. The whole wedding party stayed there. Deer were like walking up and like, it was something that you're like, am I really here? Because yeah. you don't feel like you're in the US or if, I guess I say that because we're in Florida. So anything outside it's of so Florida, different. doesn't feel, it's so different, yeah. right? It was the most beautiful place I've ever been in the United States. I'd like to go to Wyoming. I haven't been to my husband. I think that's next. Otherwise I was like, we could go back to Montana. And th- that was one of the instances where we were really open-minded. Um, it's so crazy. We found out afterwards. So my, we flew into Washington state and then drove. Oh, cool. Um, Spokane and then drove. Cause that's how my husband likes to travel. He's like, let's make a thing out of it. Um, and he promised me we wouldn't drive at night, but of course we did. And anyway, we ended up driving through like and I'm not going to say the territory, but like a not a good territory. Mm-hmm. But we didn't realize it till afterwards. But it was like one of those things like ignorance is bliss. I think had I known before the territory we were driving in, I would have had like, no. But like we met such wonderful people. And I say that because my husband and I were like truly like completely like when we walked into a restaurant. Everyone kind of turned like, hi. And we we're like, hello, you know, oh, of like not very multicultural or diverse. But everybody was super friendly. It was beautiful. Yeah, so if you can make a trip out, yeah, yeah for sure. And do a drive, absolutely. 100%, that's on the list. Okay, so Rising Nature Retreats. I think I know, I'm sure, the inspiration behind that. But I guess talk to me in your own words of 
where did that come from? And if I were to go on one of these retreats, what would I expect from the experience? Yeah, you should. You I, should know, come. I know. I <laughs> know. Okay. So Rising Nature Retreats is the amalgamation of me and my business partner, Chloe Ravel. Both of our passions for sharing and educating on uh, holistic wellness, sure. mindfulness. We're both formally trained in Hatha yoga and meditation. She's trained with Dr. Joe just Dispenza and his advanced trainings. We both bring in different modalities of breath work. She is a vibrational therapist for sound healing. And we both love building community, being in nature and seeing the world. We have combined all of these things <laughs> into an unbelievable, well-rounded travel experience everywhere that we go. So we were both doing our own retreats. I had hosted retreats in Australia and Costa Rica and Florida. She hosted a retreat in Florida and Dominican Republic. And I had an opportunity to host a retreat here in Florida, but I needed a guest teacher to come on board and she came on board. And at the end of that retreat, there was so much transformation and so much healing and so much fun that we all had. I think there was like 15 guests. And at the end of that retreat, we sat down and looked at each other and we were like, we need to do this like for real, for real, yeah. for real. We need to make a business. Like this is something that we need to do. We work yeah. so well together. It is really hard, especially, I, I don't want to give this a bad rap, but especially in like the alternative wellness yoga space, it's a lot of people who just, they want to share what they love and yeah. they kind of want to fly by the seat of their pants because that's just kind of the free spirit of sure. that industry. And it's very hard to find someone who's rooted in the professional acumen, the business the the business practices and sure. having customer service experience and event she Chloe is so rooted in an event management experience so to bring in both of our backgrounds I worked in corporate marketing she worked in event management and then to bring that like professionalism into along a with business exactly along with healing along mm -hmm. with travel along with logistics it's really hard to find somebody in yeah. this space that has that same level of the quality, sure. like caring so much about the quality of the consumer experience. So we brought all that together. We created on that, that drive home from that first retreat. We created the name. We bought the LLC. We got the Gmail. We did everything. It was a three-hour drive. We did everything in one go to fire signs in, in astrology yes. coming together. And yeah, so basically what Rising Nature Retreats does now is we offer travel experiences around the world. So this year we went to Dominican Republic. We went to Greece and Costa Rica. Next year we're going to Thailand, Portugal, and we're going back to Greece because we loved it so much. And we basically tie in a really well-rounded travel experience so that you don't have to worry about the logistics. You don't have to worry about how am I going to get from point A to point B? Which tour should I go on? None of that. You don't have to worry about it being good food or your allergies being covered, that's sure. all covered. You get to wake up and have morning yoga and meditation. You get to have group discussions. You have specialty workshops, whether it's an inversion workshop or a meditation workshop or a ceramics class. Like we do really fun specialty workshops to help build your personal development. And then on top of that, we do really fun stuff. We did surf lessons. We did a historical walk through Greece. We did zip lining, there's whale watching. So it's like really combining all the best things about travel, wellness, adventure, 
cultural connection, which is so important to us. It, this is not a retreat where you're going to drop into a resort, mm. do twice daily yoga, get your green smoothie and go home. Like it's, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah. You're going to be rooted and really immersed in the natural environment. Mm. So important to us, always rooted in nature. That's in our name, rising nature retreats, rooted in the natural environment, rooted with cultural connection. You meet local experts. You're meeting people who can talk to you about their heritage, about their ancestors, about what this place's future looks like and bringing that all together into one experience. So that's the retreat side of things. We do a lot of integration afterwards to help people integrate back home. So like you said, sometimes you see things in another country where it's hard to reckon with, or you learn something about yourself and you're on this high and then you come back home and you're not exactly met with that same level of enthusiasm. So we hold each other in this container of support. We call ourselves the container hold each other in the container of support so that you can integrate back home. I mean, we just met at Birch State Park in South Florida with all of our past retreat guests. We had a big reunion. Like, it's a big family. Yeah. And so there's the retreat side of it. And then we also do a lot of local work here in South Florida. We have weekly yoga classes. We do mini retreats quarterly. So it's like a half a day. We do full day retreats at a local spa here. There's online programs. We have different certifications sure. and different modalities. So we have our hand in a lot of things, but really the root of it is showing people the world in a really safe, accessible, fun, supportive community. Oh God. Um, yeah. Like the way you describe them, like I'm there next time. Two questions. How long is it? And no kids, right? No yes. spouse, no nothing. Yeah. So I'm working on something special in the next few years where I want to have a, a child parent retreat somewhere in the Northeast. I'm working on that. So stay tuned. But for the <laughs> most part, it is no kids because mainly what we want our guests to feel is space from their daily obligations so that they can come back to themselves. So this past retreat in Costa Rica, it was all women. It's open to men and women, but for some reason, this retreat just brought in all mm. women, which is also a beautiful experience. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So men and women, men okay. and women, a hundred percent always invited. But a lot of the women came in with this intention of I don't even, I don't know who I am anymore, or I don't know what lights me up, or I haven't traveled alone in 10 years. I don't like, this is a challenge for me. And so getting space and buffer from the daily stress or the daily obligations of feeding your children three meals a day, picking up from school, going to the doctor's offices, like where is there space for your own creativity, sure. for your own connection to yourself? You come back a better mom, a thousand percent. Every retreat, I come back home a better mom. I come back a better wife. I come back a better friend. So they typically run anywhere between four to six days. Our Thailand retreat oh, is a little- four to six weeks. I'm like, no. can you imagine? <laughs> Sounds amazing. Bye, honey. Bye, honey. Six I weeks know. later. So four to six days. Okay. Our Thailand retreat's a little longer because sure. obviously it's That's, a longer yeah, flight. Yeah. No children for the most part. And yeah, what you can expect is typically how our flow is. You wake up, we have a morning yoga and meditation class. You'll have a beautiful breakfast. And then we'll either do like a workshop or there'll be some sort of excursion that's included. Sometimes between breakfast and lunch or breakfast and dinner, there's free time, which is also a beautiful part of the sure. retreat is allowing space yes. for people to learn what to do with free time. One time we had a retreat where there was a lot of free time built in on purpose. And one of the retreat guests was like, there's like five hours on the itinerary where there's nothing on the schedule. What do I do? And I'm like, you just you just be, what do you, what do you want to do? She's like, I need someone to tell me what to do. And that was a part of healing for her. Sure. So everything is very designed and very systematic in a, in a in, for a reason 
in the afternoon, we come together for like a yin yoga or sound mm -hmm. healing or some sort of activity or workshop where we come back together. We'll have dinner and then there's either free time or we'll do another night activity, typically like something to wind you down, a, a yoga nidra, a meditation, a sound healing. So it's a really balanced sequence of your day. If you look at like a, almost like a bell curve, it's like you're, you know, like the way that a day should be run, you start your invigorating practice in the morning, you peak in the afternoon and then you come all the way back down. And so you get really blissful sleep, you get rest, you get community. And yeah, you end up coming home, not needing a vacation from your vacation, which we all know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and sorry. One thing I should add sure. is a lot of times people are like, is this like a vegan, no alcohol, oh. whatever we include we include meat on the retreat. If you're a vegetarian, vegan, a thousand percent, we will accommodate that. All allergies we accommodate. We also allow our guests to drink. We try to educate on mindful drinking. Sure. Let's not, not ruin another person's experience. Sure. Let's not stay up till midnight screaming because people are trying to have, you know, have a good sleep. Sure. You don't want to ruin your next day for yoga. So this is a really good opportunity for people to evaluate their relationship with alcohol. But we, but we by no means set don't, we don't, you're an adult. Yeah. If going on vacation and going on a retreat and having a glass of wine at dinner is what's going to help you relax, like go for it. Gotcha. it. It's totally up to you. But it's not, you know, tequila and exactly, wild, exactly. Sure. We're not like popping bottles all night. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. And I understand, but I'm, uh, that's that's good that you made that point. Before we part ways, we mentioned mo traveling with kids. Yes. Share some travel hacks for moms. Okay. I think that's important because. I know the anxiety that comes with travel. Jace has been traveling prior to COVID. I mean, we brought him everywhere and I'm so happy we have the pictures. And it's so funny as some of the stuff that he's remembered. Cause again, I, I love yes. how you said the pictures cause it's there now that he's five, we're going to Italy in March. So super oh excited. Gosh. He's coming with us. That'll be his first long trip. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, we're going to Sicily. That's where my family's from. So we're there for a week actually during spring break. So I told my husband, I was like, Oh, times have changed. Now we're planning during spring break season and certain things. But anyway, Share some travel hacks right. for moms listening. Okay. So it really depends on your kid's age, and I can really only speak to having young children. Sure. A piece of advice you're going to hear a lot of people say is lower your expectations, which is really true, but also not necessarily helpful for someone who is anxious about it because sure. you're, you're battling your mind with your mind, and it's just not like, how do you get, how do yeah. you? you know, you're not going to, it's just hard. It's hard when just somebody says, someone, yeah. lower your expectations, but you're anxious about it. it. It is true. And it's taken practice for me to lower my expectations. So one thing that I would say is if you are feeling anxious about bringing kids or worried about a meltdown on a plane, like one, expect the meltdown because it's probably going to happen. You feel anxious. Imagine how your kids feel mm -hmm. Two, let them get their energy out at the airport. Most airports, most terminals have some sort of play space, even if it's something super small or find an empty gate that no one's out and play a climbing game. Like let your kids get their energy out. Let them be loud. Don't worry about what other people are thinking at that stage because the more you can get their energy out, out in the airport, run laps around the airport if you have to, sure. the better that they're probably going to be on that plane. Bring less, do less. Like everyone's like, I got this toy for this and I've got this amazing 45 layer bag of all these different toys. So as soon as they get bored, I've got another toy. That is stressful for you, trying to find all yeah. the toys and then pick them off the floor. And then your kid doesn't learn how to just be bored on the plane, right? So find like two or three staple toys, like a busy book, a Montessori busy book on Amazon. I can give you the link to put in the show notes. Yeah. It's amazing. Amazon busy board on, uh, sorry, Montessori busy board. Amazing. Painter's tape. Stick some painter's tape on the walls on the plane because it doesn't do any sticky res residue and let them play with that. But and and then honestly, if you're not above it, 
an iPad. Like let, let it be a fun toy. My daughter doesn't use an iPad ever at home. It's just something that we do. But on a plane, she's already talking about our Thailand trip. I'm going to watch TV on my iPad and I get all my snacks and I'm going to lay down. Like it's like an exciting thing for her. So try to bring as like the least amount of stuff that you can because more stuff is more stress. You're picking up stuff all over the floor. Let them get their energy out in the airport the best that you can. Expect the meltdown because it's probably going to happen. And and especially with parents with baby babies, we try to like schedule the flight to fit the nap and then the nap doesn't work. And then you get, you can't force a baby to sleep. You just can't. And so- it's really just about, I was just talking to a friend, Michelle Hansley. She's on my podcast as well as she's a sleep expert. And she was saying, offer opportunities for sleep. So have, have the carrier, have the stroller, but don't viciously rock them to sleep being like, why aren't you sleeping? Because yeah. it's just going to make you more stressed. So and they're going to fight against it. And like, they're going to fight wrong. against that. So that's what I would say when you're actually at the place. One of the most fun things that we've done while traveling is research really cool parks. So we went to the Princess Diana Park in London. I still like froth over that park. I want to be, I was like playing in that park. It was amazing. We had an extra four hours to kill before bedtime. And we were staying at an airport hotel in Athens. Yuck. What are we supposed to do there? So we just took a taxi 20 minutes away and found a park near the ocean. And we let them play at the parks. And there's some really epic parks around the world. Research how you can do fun things with their kids, with what they're interested in. If you have like a five-year-old daughter and she's really into dance, Show them, if you're going to Spain, show them flamenco dancing and say, hey, let's go to a flamenco show while we're there. Like get yes. your kids involved. The older they get, the more involved they can be. But that's probably some of the best advice. I love that. that. I, the only thing else I would add is time change. We experienced yes. that in yes. Hawaii. That was tough. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. And my guy, my little guy is one of those, like he gets cranky. If yeah. he, he, he's whew, um, like zero to a hundred. And I just had to let go of the expectation yeah. that he'll sleep in the car and just let it go and expect that the time change is going to kick his butt. And we just embraced it and we just slept when we could. And that was it. And like, we got through it. Like you just get through it. And I think going back to the book that you recommended, I'm sure kind of helps put a lot of this stuff in perspective, but I know traveling with little kids puts a lot on, I think more so the moms than anything, because we're the ones that the type A's were like this, that, and the third. But I like how you said less is more and to just kind of let them immerse. And I really love how you said to do the research to see, because I think a lot of times we think of the zoos and spending all this money where it's like, get a park, like girl, what, what kids don't want to see a park and then to say that they want to add a park in like freaking London like that's fantastic yeah. and free most of them or even just running sure. around Hyde Park isn't it yes but, so, oh yes but I was also so inspired I got back home from that trip because the Princess Diana Park is full of natural like it's like wood and metals awesome. and I literally was like texting my friends who are city planners and I was like how do we do this more at home <laughs> like I was so inspired by some yes. of these parks yeah there's there's so many things the time change is rough and I think that's also one of those things like you said is just there are some things that are just hard. And time changes are hard. My little one in Greece, I don't think we slept a full night the entire time we were there. My eyes were like spinning. I literally yeah. couldn't see straight and that was hard. But one of the, my favorite quotes is just because something's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Yes. And yeah, time changes are going to be hard. They're hard on everyone. Traveling with a three-year-old is hard, but it's not bad. It's challenging and you get through it. And then the more that you do it, the more that you build that resilience in yourself to say, 
yeah, I can go to Europe with my kids. Yeah, I can go no, do a 12-hour imagine, road trip. And like, imagine the gift that you're giving your child to immerse them into that. I think is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right, Kelly, before we part ways here, please share all the things of how people can follow you. Yeah. I know you mentioned your podcast, where they can listen to it. And then I always part with final thoughts to the community listening. Amazing. Okay, so my the best way to contact me is through Instagram, probably. So my my personal Instagram is at kelly.tolliday.com yoga and then for rising nature retreats it's at rising nature retreats our website is rising retreats.com and then our podcast is the transform with travel podcast it's on all of the streaming sure. podcast apps so that's the best way to get in contact with me and then final thoughts is uh, just with with anything in life whether it's travel whether it's starting a new yoga practice whether it's just trying to stay emotionally regulated with your kids during challenging times. It's just so important to give yourself as much grace as possible. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you are striving to be the best parent that you can possibly be. And that says everything that you need to know about yourself. And there's going to be challenges. And nine times out of 10, we put our head down at the end of the day and we think of all the things that we should have done better as a parent, or I shouldn't have said that to my kid, or I shouldn't have reacted that way. And we don't think of all the beautiful ways that we're supporting our child to thrive and grow. And just know that you're doing your absolute best that you can and listening to this podcast and resources like you, Nicole, and it just shows how special you are as a parent and how lucky that your kid your child is to have you as a parent. And so please reach out to me if you just want to connect. I love connecting with moms in the community. And I'm so excited to, you know, continue to watch this thriving community of moms grow. Yeah, for sure. Um, always honored to collaborate and to talk with badass women like you. So thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on, for sharing your insight. I'm so excited. I, I love having conversations. And then afterwards, like, oh, I can't wait to listen know, to the playback. <laughs> you shared such great information. So thank you yeah. and continued blessings to you for love and light. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their motherhood village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.